Welcome to the brand new Blazon Access Show, connecting the community to the disabled world of New Year, a new show. I am your host, Blaze Bryant, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe New Year wherever you are listening, either via podcast or via the Pacifica network of radio stations. Facebook.com slash Blazin Shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. On Twitter, at Blazin Shows. And if you want to send me an email, blazinshows at gmail.com. I also have a website, which you guessed it. It's blazinshows.com. Because I do another show that's related to history, which also will be a podcast and will be wherever you listen to podcasts as well as here on the Pacifica network of stations as well. So why a show about disability? For one, I am a person with a disability. I was born completely blind. My eyes never fully developed. So I don't know what it's like to see color. I don't know what it's like to see anything. People have asked me, well, would you want to see? And the answer to that is no, because it's just too much change. I literally would have to learn how to read and write. And I'm one of those people that if there's something I don't like seeing, then just get this out of my head. So I am someone that does fully embrace my disability because I have chosen to. And because one in six people have a disability in the world, uh, nearly two-thirds of them do not have a job. Many of them are not fully educated because they have not received the necessary services and supports, because transportation can be a barrier. Employment, one of the big reasons why people with disabilities have such a high unemployment rate is because transportation is such an issue. We're going to cover all these topics. We're going to have people with disabilities on the show. We're going to have people who execute various uh, programs and services to allow disabled people to have an equal shot in life. I also, as a context of background, have a bachelor's degree in journalism with a focus in radio and broadcast journalism. Being able to do community radio has allowed me to fulfill this dream, albeit at some point, I certainly would love to get paid to be doing radio. That's really been the big dream, which I wanted to do ever since I was 10. I heard a baseball game on the radio for the first time. Yes, I'm a big sports fan. I'm sure as the show goes on, you'll hear more about that. But I was fascinated. I never heard baseball on the radio. I, of course, heard it on TV, but the word picture was just something that blew 10-year-old Blaze away. 
I knew right then and there, this is what I wanted to do. But the media business is a tough one to be able to cut your teeth. You, as a person with a disability, inherently, you have to be able to prove you're worth more than able-bodied people. So there's this whole thing, and we see it at the end of every job description, or if you hear a company advertising on radio and TV, or you see an ad on social media, we're an equal opportunity employer. What that says is, well, first off, they have to have that in the advertisement. That's a legalese thing. But you also... In being an equal opportunity employer, you have to not have the dis or the the yeah I'll I'll just say it for what it is kind of the disabled attitude that uh, a person with a disability needs to be able to prove themselves more than an able-bodied person, which really just does not make any sense to me. There's a whole changing of the guard that needs to happen. Though I cannot talk about or do this show right now without mentioning the pandemic. And that's what we're going to be talking about with our guest, Denise Donato. She is a board member of the New York State Independent Living Council, who recently conducted a survey, the Independent Living Council did, on how New Yorkers with disabilities were impacted by the pandemic. Denise and I, we also work together at a company called Consumer Directed Choices here in Albany, New York, which allows seniors and people with disabilities to remain at home and hire people that they know and trust to be their home care workers, which, as we are in the midst of this pandemic, is so incredibly important. It's always a pleasure to talk with Denise and welcome her to our brand new Blazing Access show. Denise, thank you so much. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Before we get specific about the different aspects about how people have been impacted by the pandemic, uh, let's talk about some of the generalities in terms of how many people and just some of the overarching themes that were discovered within the survey. Sure. So the New York State Independent Living Council knew that people with disabilities were going to face some differences in the COVID-19 pandemic uh, because, you know, New Yorkers with disabilities are vulnerable populations. And uh, initially, when this started, we were thinking that we might be confined at home until at least June. And full disclosure, I am a person with a disability uh, with a mobility impairment, and I rely on consumer-directed personal assistance for my daily needs. So when I say we, I'm talking about people like me, um, you know, and other people with disabilities around New York State. And so the purpose of the survey was really to examine what were the needs of New Yorkers with disabilities during the initial phase of COVID. Uh, NYSIL crafted this survey and sent it out uh, through social media, through their network of independent living centers around the state, and looked at what were some of the outcomes that people were experiencing during uh, the public pandemic. 
we knew that the risk for people with disabilities was even going to be higher in people living in congregate care facilities like nursing homes or other uh, living situations such as group homes. We'd heard that the virus was impacting uh, black and indigenous people of color at higher levels than predominantly white areas. We knew that there were disproportionate results for the Latinx and American Indian communities. So we wanted to gather our own data about what people with disabilities were facing. To that end, 549 New Yorkers who self-identified as people with disabilities responded to the survey. And overall, the survey identified several challenges that were faced in the medical community, uh, organizations in the community, and governments in providing services during a pandemic of this scale and scope. Overwhelmingly, people with disabilities responded saying that they faced a loss of routine, loneliness, loss of income, and difficulty accessing medical and mental health services. And when you think about people with disabilities as being high users of medical and mental health services, that's a real area of concern for many of us. Absolutely. We're going to get to those areas in just a second, but I want to follow up on the racial aspects. How come people who are Black and Indigenous people of color, how come there is that health disparity? Often biracial and Indigenous people of color and individuals with underlying conditions were the ones that had to go out. They couldn't work remotely. You know, it's, it's difficult if you are a service worker, you can't pro- do that work remotely. If you're a home care worker, you can't do that work remotely. If you work in a grocery store or in a bodega, you can't do that work remotely. Yeah, all makes a lot of sense. Let's spend a couple minutes on each topic of the survey, ranging from medical needs, mental health, addiction services, transportation, and several other areas. Let's start with the medical piece. About 60% of people surveyed were afraid that they were going to get the virus. Did that shock you? What stood out to you in that? That absolutely did not shock me. So I am a person who would be considered at elevated risk for catching the virus. I have uh, respiratory concerns that would make me at increased risk. And while someone else who's my age and non-disabled might get the virus and heal quickly, the chances are if I were to get the virus, these symptoms would be worse in me, that I would most likely end up requiring respiration. And so the effects of the virus would be worse on someone like me. Many times, people who relied on home care were worried that their staff would not be able to come to their home to provide the care that they need to stay stay safe in their community. Many people feel feared closing of their doctor's offices. They didn't have the capability technologically to connect to their doctors remotely. Virtual options may not have been available for them. That's a great point. Even though there has been such a conscious effort 
because of the pandemic to increase the access to telemedicine, the medical reality is while this is all well and good, there's only so much that can be done through telemedicine. Right. And, and think about our aging population. We know many grandparents who are Zooming with their grandchildren. We know that there are abilities to connect with people remotely, but there are several elderly folks in our community who don't have that access, who are feeling isolated, who are feeling so separate from their social circles. And we know with that isolation comes depression, which then limits your ability to engage with us. It feels like it's a revolving cycle that just keeps going downward in its spiraling effect. You know, you don't have the connection, so your mental health goes down. That affects your physical health. It's it's interconnected. Yeah, and it's very clear, Denise Donato from the New York State Independent Living Council, how people are really struggling during this pandemic, at least from what the survey indicates. And I wonder even if people are underestimating how much they're struggling because of the pandemic. Personally, I know that as the pandemic goes on further and and for a lengthier time, I've noticed changes in my own ability to cope with what's happening. I know that my friends have also admitted this, that, you know, we thought we were going to be dealing with this for a shorter length of time. So as this goes on, we need to continue to remain vigilant. We have to keep following the social behaviors that are going to keep us safe. But it's really difficult with the holidays and with winter not being able to be social. Schools are now sometimes doing hybrid approaches, sometimes uh, doing things remotely. We know that special education needs for kids with disabilities may not be getting addressed at the same level that they would if they were in person. So that's an area of concern for several parents that I know who have kids who rely on those special ed services. I know that kids who are getting ready for college are worried about the transition for what that will mean as they leave one environment and go to another. And then we have parents who are trying to work remotely, who are trying to support their children, who are learning remotely or a hybrid of in-person. The strain on people is perhaps being magnified now because of the length of time that we've been through this pandemic. And yet the need to continue to remain vigilant, we still need to mask. We still need to follow social distancing. We need to limit our social interactions with others if we want to try and remain safe. Talk about, based on the survey, the realities of people with disabilities using public transportation during the pandemic. Sure. Well, one of the questions uh, that was asked during the survey was what service could help you most at this time? And 12% of the respondents said that transportation could help them. We know that in order to be able to access the community, public transportation is critical for people with disabilities in areas 
where there is public transportation. Use of public transportation though, carries its own risk. As someone who is blind, I'm sure that you can speak to the risk that you feel having to rely on public transportation while trying to maintain social distance. And the fact that I can't see who's wearing a mask or who's not because it's so easy to get on, have the mask on, very visible. And you get into an area of the bus or what have you, then the mask can come off. Even in an Uber or Lyft, having a service animal, there seems to be in the few times that I've done it since the pandemic, because I've certainly been leery of it for the reasons I just stated, a willingness for drivers to want to take you and an animal. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole domino effect that is happening in this arena here. Absolutely. And if you don't have access to reliable transportation, that can increase the isolation that you feel. Not being able to get out and and maintain a routine. People laughingly said, I want to be able to have a haircut. Well, yes, maybe you want to get out to your barbershop. Maybe you want to get your eyebrows done. People with disabilities are no different than the general population. We are trying to maintain some sense of normality when the world is out of control right now. And not having access to reliable transportation where you feel safe to access your community can further isolate people with disabilities during the pandemic. For sure. Denise Donato, New York State Independent Living Council with me here on the Blaze and Access show. What did the survey say about people with disabilities and their views on the federal response and even the state response to the coronavirus? Many people with disabilities felt that the disruption to their routine and daily lives could have been improved if they were involved in the planning process for how local governments or local organizations respond to emergencies. We know that emergency preparedness for people with disabilities has been a a popular subject, especially since Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy in New York. Often during an emergency, people are encouraged to take care of their own needs, take care of themselves, then take care of the people that you care about. When you rely on other people to help you take care of yourself, it's even more important that you become aware of what's available to you and what's around you. So there are many actions and changes that can be utilized through different types of emergencies. We've all come to depend on Zoom. Zoom is recognized within the disability community as an accessible meeting platform. We know that this could be used by organizations as a way to check in with those that they are serving if the technology exists. At Consumer Directed Choices, where you and I work, for example, we are not doing in-person visits with the consumers that we serve. We are using phone and Zoom to check in. And that has meant actually that we can be more productive by checking in with more people because we're not driving from person to person. So there are silver linings in the midst of a pandemic because 
we're not spending time traveling between people, we can check in with more people. However, it's not the same as an in-person visit to somebody to make sure that they are doing okay. Right. Also, but telecommuting does offer opportunities for program staff and for local government staff to maintain relationships with their constituents and with the people that they work with when they are limited by travel or social distancing restrictions. And not to mention it alleviates such a very heavy need on transportation. Absolutely. You know, communication is also something that's critical. Early on in the pandemic, we were struggling to communicate as best we could. And it felt like the message sometimes was changing. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? What should we do? Wash our hands, social distance, better communication is important to help reduce levels of anxiety and concern. And I know at Consumer Directed Choices, we tried to tailor our message to best meet the people that we were serving. Um, it's great. New York State has now published some plain language resources to simplify the message related to COVID. And those plain language resources are great, not just for people with disabilities, but for low literacy levels or for people for whom English is not their first language. So having those communication resources, are that's really going to be helpful, I think. For sure. We've talked a lot about what's happening on a state level. You are very well connected with a lot of disability advocates around the country and world. Are the trends similar? It's interesting to see what's happening, not only across our country, but also across the world. Different countries have responded to this pandemic with different actions. So my friends in Australia and New Zealand are not quarantining. They're not as strict with the social distancing because they took broader steps initially to really lock down and keep the virus at lower levels. And, you know, in New York, in the United States, things were really done at a state by state level. And, and I'm not here to talk about what was good or bad about that. But I just think that a lack of a consistent response across the country has hindered us. And I think the rising infection rates and death toll would back me up on that. For sure. We have a couple of minutes left here, Denise. I want to step away from the survey. Let's talk about what's happening with the vaccine. You, at a time in your life, worked in nursing homes. You worked for the Department of Health and their cancer services program, as well as for their disability and health program. You know a lot about this stuff. Where's your optimism at all and your thoughts on what's happening with the vaccines? Well, I, I am a little bit of a Pollyanna and an optimist. I choose to believe the good. I really think that vaccines will help. I reduce the spread, but it's not going to work on its own. We still need to be vigilant with our behavior. We still need to minimize our contact with people outside of our bubbles. Uh, we need to continue to wash our hands, to wear our mask in public, to 
reduce the risk of transmitting the virus. You know, I heard on the news this morning that there is now a strain of the virus in England that is uh, more contagious. It doesn't seem to cause an increase in death, but it is more contagious. And that scares me that people might let down their guard and that people might not follow strict protocols. I know that I have been limiting my, where I go, I've not been out in public uh, other than to go to the doctors and uh, to do some drive-by birthday greetings. Uh, I've driven twice to see my sister and we did social distant visits. The staff that come into my home to work, we've all been very diligent about limiting ourselves and our gathering, wearing masks, following protocols. And I'm so grateful to them because they are the ones that are keeping me safe. They're the ones that are allowing me to stay healthy in my own home, not in a hospital, not in a nursing home. And when this is over, I plan to throw the biggest party that I can to thank them for helping us get through to the other <laughs> side. I jokingly said at the start of this, my goal is to survive, but that is my goal. I am going to make it through this because I still have a lot to do and a lot I want to do, just like every other person. And I'm optimistic that people will do the right thing, that they do care for each other more than we might think based on the rising level of inflection or of infections. And I'm optimistic that we will get through this. Life will be different, but maybe some of the things that people with disabilities have been advocating for will be a reality. So maybe we will have more telecommuting opportunities for employees with disabilities and non-disabled employees. Maybe we will have hybrid meetings so people don't have to travel to California to attend a conference and leave their family and their loved ones behind just to learn advanced skills. Maybe people will be able to visit with friends and family in far off places with more comfort. Maybe we will be able to offer opportunities for people with disabilities that they didn't have in the past. I'm optimistic about that because the reality is so many people are working remotely now in jobs where it was never considered possible before. So if it can be done, why not consider hiring a person with a disability for whom going to an office is a barrier, but they could work remotely from home? Exactly, especially when that is one of the key contributing factors, transportation, to why about a third of people with disabilities have a job. Exactly. Exactly. Denise, you have been extremely kind with your time. Denise Donato from the New York State Independent Living Council and Consumer Directed Choices. I can't thank you enough for being the opening act here on the Blazing Access show. Thank you very much. Thank you for your faith in me. It's been an honor. To learn more about the work of the New York State Independent Living Council, go to nysilc.org. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blazon Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. What do you think? 
Let me know at facebook.com slash blazing shows. That's B L A I S I N shows on Twitter at blazing shows or email me at blazing shows at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts or at my website, blazingshows.com. If you can, please consider making a donation to ensure we can bring you a fully accessible podcast. To quote the late Christopher Reeve, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk again next week. On Blaze and Access, I'm Blaze Bryant.